I feel like the YouTube channel was a long time coming. And I really believe in the universe won't give you something until you're ready for it, right? And so, you know, I kind of tried to have a channel before, you know, when you and I were working together and we mm -hmm. did some of the, like, you know, um, Man on the Street interviews in Baltimore. But I feel like I wasn't ready. Like, if I would have done it and had critiques or criticisms or people would have, like, you know, said that they didn't like it, I would have felt it. I didn't have the armor at that point to have that type of a platform in that space at that time. In 2010, I decided to return to school. It's supposed to be a one-year break, ended up being a three-year break. See previous episodes for the story. One of the people who left a mark on my life and that I'm still friends with to this day is my guest. The one and only Miss Krishana Davis. Krishana and I met in media law and we were both taking a class. And I remember there was a point in time when she was the only person who got like the first project right. And she may not know the story, but I remember like saying, I'm going to make sure I pair with her. Well, we went on to, she graduated the year before I did. And after she graduated her and I worked on one of her passion projects together and since then she's done so many things from journalism to communications directing to management and now she has her own YouTube channel and you're gonna get all of that in this episode so ladies and gentlemen here is my conversation with Krishana Davis all right ladies and gentlemen we are episode 92 of breaking through glass ceilings and I have to say, I've been waiting for a very, very, very long time to interview this person. She is literally one of my best friends in life. Um, when I talk about my story of going back to school at Morgan and, you know, it's easy to say, oh, I would have, I would have wished I went right after college, uh, out of community college. She's one of the people I named that I'm glad I didn't. That is the one, the only Miss Krishana Davis. Krishana, how you doing? I'm doing well, Brian. How are you doing today? I'm um, good. It's Friday as we recording this, uh, you know, people getting this on Monday. But, you know, I think this is the perfect way for them to start their week because you're somebody who I will always say is the Jill of all trades. Um, you literally do everything. And I'm proud of you. And I can't wait to, uh, we, you know, we can showcase that a little bit here. Well, one, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. You've been a great friend. And so thank you for the opportunity to like talk to your folks and your audience as well. And just be in community with you because we haven't like seen each other face to face in a while. And so at least we get this opportunity here. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so, um, yeah, let's get started. So we met Morgan State University uh, and this was, uh, wow, junior year ish senior year well i think you was in your senior i don't know but anyway um because like mine's is like twisted because I yeah i think trying. i might have been in my junior year okay yeah so um one of the things that i remember was it was law class and <laughs> we ain't gonna go into too much of the stories or like the study parties but um you know i remember when we had a conversation and we were talking about journalism you said that you had always wanted wanted to do journalism and used to be called a uh, Harriet the Spy when you was younger. Like, <laughs> when did like like how did that all come about? Like as a child and then transitioning because one of the things to note you didn't major in journalism, which I also want to talk about. 
Yeah. So honestly, I have been a storyteller since the very beginning. I was a very avid reader. And so at some point you start reading everything in the children's section. And so now you're in like young adult books and then you kind of start reading everything in young adult books. And I grew up in East Baltimore. So the Enoch Pratt library um, was like right up the street from my house. And so my little small library, I had read everything there. And so eventually it got to the point where it was like, okay, I'm going to start writing my own stories because I want to see more. Like I need more stories and these authors are not getting things out fast enough. Mm-hmm. So when I was in middle school, I had a really, really good um, guidance counselor who noted that um, they had a creative writing seminar and I was doing really well there. And she said, you know, the teacher instructor says you're doing really well. Do you want to write? Like, is that the career that you want for yourself? And I was like, yes, 100%. I want to be a fiction writer. And she said, hmm, fiction. And, you know, and, you know, bless her heart, it was a wonderful white woman who was a guidance counselor. And I think that she felt like it would be really tough for me to make a career in fiction writing long term, right? And so instead she said, have you ever thought about journalism? And at that point I hadn't at all. Like that was not even something that was kind of like in my um, thought process. Mm -hmm. And so she actually had a reporter from the Baltimore Sun come and talk to me in middle school. I was in a sixth grade. They gave me my first reporter's notebook. I got to go shadow them for a day. And from that point forward, I pretty much knew that I wanted to be a journalist. And so, you know, when I was younger talking about the Harriet the Spy, I used to also really, really love that movie. I've never read the book because the book is thick. I don't know if you've ever seen the Harriet the Spy book, but it's thick and I don't know. But the movie was great. Um, and I used to have a purple trench coat, so very similar to the yellow one that she used to wear. And I used to take my binoculars and my little notebook, and I would literally be walking around Baltimore on the east side, like trying to figure out what's what. And granted, I, you know, nothing really came of that, but my love for writing has always been there. Um, and so I knew that like telling stories was really important and near and dear to my heart. And as I started understanding journalism a lot more, it was important for me to tell the unique and interesting stories about things that were happening in Baltimore, both to the people who lived there and then all of the systems that were impacting people in the community as well, right? So like from the uh, the politics to, you know, um, different laws and, that, and policies that are put in place, how are they impacting like myself, my friends, my family, my loved ones, my community. And so it became really important to me. And I kind of like got this mission to very much like have that transparency so that people in the community can make informed decisions about their lives. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Um, we're going to get into the Afro a little bit and the Baltimore Sun because, you know, that does come full circle. But, yeah. you know, just definitely want to touch on uh, Morgan State. You know, do you have any highlights? Um, you know, obviously, besides like that law class. <laughs> Honestly, you know, I think my biggest, I think, plus from being at Morgan was having a lot of professors who cared a lot about me, right? And so, you know, you're very true in saying that I wasn't a journalism major because actually there wasn't a journalism major when I started at Morgan. So they kept promising a journalism major and actually didn't come until I think I was almost in my senior year. And so one of the uh, deans kept saying, well, just wait, just wait. And I'm like, I'm not staying here five or six years waiting on you to get a journalism school. Like I'm going to go ahead and graduate. Um, So I was an English major. And so I did have a really good professor. I think he took her as well, Professor Alyssa Richardson, um, who is now now, um, a professor in California doing amazing work has, you know, published many books and really like coined mobile journalism. Um, and so, you know, I had a lot of professors, I think, who really poured into me. And so I really very much love those classes. I remember um, there was one class where we got to make a magazine. And so I had a associate who went to my rival high school, um, Sierra, who I know you also know, Brian. What was and- your school? 
So I went to Poly. You no, what was your, your rival high school? Oh, we don't talk about the number one hump. But <laughs> wow, the great Baltimore City College that holds holds the lead in the city poly game by two. So even if we somehow like let y'all win this year, since we won twelve straight, I'm just saying, you know. So here's the thing about that. Here's the thing. You know, at city, they'll let people who don't have the academics play on the football team. But at poly, that doesn't that doesn't go. So no. if, poly, if you don't have academics, they definitely put you off the team, regardless <laughs> of you're the best player or not. So I'm just saying, like, sports is important. People definitely make good careers in sports. And, you know, if you can't cut it academically, it's okay. Hey, we we I've seen football players get put off the team and <laughs> basketball players get put off the team personally. It's real, you know, but uh, you know, it's uh it's, That's it's my that time point, of year. and I'm sticking to it. I'm sticking to that talking <laughs> point. Like I don't care. Oh man, you 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 are a true um a true testament of in post high school life. I'm gonna let a secret out, and you know, people will find this. I actually like more people from Poly than I did for City. <laughs> After high school, you uh, know what? Of... I, I'm not, and I'm the same. I'm <laughs> it's like you know, you. I mean, w- you know, when it's the city poly game, I'm I'm on the city side. But you know, I might go over to like during the like tailgate. I might go hang out with some of the poly people. As you should. We have fun at the tailgate. I haven't been in a long time, but so yeah. I hear. But hopefully next year I'll be there. So yeah, let's 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 make that happen because I don't plan to go this year. So I'm definitely looking to see what's happening next year. But, um, you know, uh, let's get into like the Baltimore Sun and the Afro, because like these are like the papers of record. And, you know, I'm gonna give you another shout out because I remember one time you asked me to fill in for you and it was during this story. Unfortunately, somebody had got killed. And I don't know if you remember, but I vividly remember that Thursday night, like shortly after it happened, I was on Twitter. And I saw your tweet because you was on scene at the crime. And then the next day you had to, um, you was working two jobs because that's what Shauna does. She works multiple jobs. She's a hard worker. And now she has like the greatest job in the world. If she ever, if she wants to talk about that and disclose that information, but she, um, you, you asked me to accompany you on a story. And for me, it took me and my career to another level because this was a hard news story, really asking questions after like somebody had just lost their sibling. And I remember like I sent you a voice recorder and I don't know if you remember, you like fussed me out. Then you realized I had the information in there. And so like, that's how our friendship is. Like it's never, um, you want to be around people. And this is the reason why I wanted to have you on here. You want to be around people that's going to hold you accountable. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that I'm always been grateful that Krishana has always done. Like I said, now I had this, I had it done right, but still, she ain't think I had it done right. And it's like, no, you know, as a journalist, you're supposed to do, 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 do. And like, oh, I'm sorry. It's right there. <laughs> you remember that? Do you remember? I do remember this. And what I will also say is what I have also learned and grown into is to like give people the benefit of the doubt. Right. <laughs> and I think that like this is a prime example of the growth that I also needed. So like mm-hmm. understand that like you have to also give people the opportunity and the benefit of the doubt. And for some reason, Brian, if you hadn't have had it, that could have also been a learning moment too. And so mm-hmm. I will also say that like on the flip side of that, I've also grown very much in that way as well. <laughs> But yeah, so what was it like working for those uh, companies? Like I said, you know, you grew up reading and consuming that information and now your name is on the bylines. Yeah, so working for the Afro, I think 
in reflection, I respect and love it so much more than maybe even I appreciated it when I was doing it. Um, mm-hmm. So my mom used to get the Afro-American every Friday and I would get the kids section the same way that I would with the Baltimore Sun. Like you pull it out the comics and you're playing and you're writing. And so I knew the Afro-American newspaper like near and dear. And so I remember when I first got the internship and then later hired there, my family cared about it way more than I did. Like, I was like, oh, this is cool, but like, it's not the publication I want to be at, but it's great. And it was really a disrespect, honestly, for me to have that reaction because Black media is so important and it's been a testament for so long. And it's so important that we pour into our Black institutions because those were the people who were making sure that like Black people were protected, who told people where they could like be and what roles they could take and where they can get employment. And we're really like pillars and staples of our community. And so I think that like, I'm very grateful to have been at the Afro-American newspaper and all the black publications that I've written for or worked for over the years, because there needs to be more reverence there. And people shouldn't always be looking for the next, the next, the next, right? Like I think being in the present and the moment and it is so very much important. And I think that like, the great thing about the Afro because that staff was so small, it gave me opportunity to have um, writing opportunities that I wouldn't have had at a bigger publication. So things that I wasn't getting when I was at the Sun and I interned there, right? So like mm-hmm. I got to be the political reporter and I got to cover uh, police accountability and really have a beat that I owned and like was able to grow into in a way that I probably wouldn't have at the Baltimore Sun, right? And so it gave me that like foundation of journalism. It gave me like context. And what I loved so much was like the ease at which I could move in Baltimore because I was also from there, right? And so like if you're going to an event or going to a scene or you need somebody to talk to you, like you have my accent, I'm telling you where I'm from, I'm telling you what high school I went to. Or sometimes I would get there and literally be in a part of Baltimore that I didn't live in. So I never forget, I was in West Baltimore, I think covering, uh, uh, I think it was like a police involved death or something like that. So the police killed somebody basically, um, police brutality. And I was trying to get some information from one of the neighbors and I heard somebody go, Krishana, right? And I'm like looking around like, I'm not in my side of town. Like, who is this? like calling me but -hmm. it was somebody that I knew from when I was marching in the marching band and so I was able to get the information I I needed to be able to like substantiate the fact that like the police were wrong in this situation right but it's because I'm from there it's because like I had that local tie because people know me it changes the dynamic and I think you're able to do such better journalism from that perspective and then that later gave the foundation to be able to go to the sun as well, which um, I also had a good experience at. But I will say by the time I got to the sun, even though I was, I think when I left there, really education reporters, what I was doing, what I really wanted to do was feature writing, like long form culture reporting, arts entertainment, feature writing. And what's so funny about you talking about um, hard hitting news and journalism, that's not actually what I wanted to do, but I forgot I was pushed into that space because people say that you have to have all of these credentials first before you can like do these other things. Mm -hmm. And I think you're so interesting too, Brian, because like you were always so clear from day one about your interests and what you wanted to do. And I will never forget being in that media law class and you were, I knew that you loved wrestling, but you know, we were media law and I'm like, okay, here's Brian. Like, what is he talking about? And what was funny was like five guys turned around and was like, yeah, yo, I saw uh, wrestling last night. And did you see blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, so all of y'all watch wrestling and everybody tries to pretend like they don't watch wrestling. Right. And so what I just love is that like, you've always been, clear on your vision and what you wanted and we're not going to let people like persuade you to do something different and was able to make a career out of it right and I think that like there's such a blessing in that 
thank you. Wow, that you took. I forgot about that. You know, and it's um, like now in the wrestling world, we found this um emergence, and a lot of the black wrestling content creators have found each other, right? Mm-hmm. And like, there's a photo from last year at um, shout out to those wrestling girls. They had their anniversary party, and you see everybody there together, and people are like, wait there's that many black people that love wrestling and as the content creators and everybody sort of has the same story. Nobody took us serious. Um, I've, uh, my, I've coined the phrase, where were y'all when I was growing up, yeah. you know? Uh, so yeah, I, I definitely appreciate you for uh, bringing that up and remembering that. Um, let's go to, you know, so let's talk about, you know, you was a political science major. Mm-hmm. What made you choose that? You know, what made you choose political science, even though understanding like you wanted journalism, they didn't have it. You wasn't going to wait around, which is obviously the smartest thing to do. So why political science? Yeah, I think I've always cared a lot about how the world works and how the world impacts my community. Right. And it impacts black people. And so I knew that basically that there was like a desire I had to be in journalism. But at some point I thought maybe like I would be a lawyer or like work in politics in some degree. And so, you know what I knew was that like a political science degree would probably get me in some field close to what I wanted to do if it wasn't journalism. And then there was always the opportunity opportunity to do political journalism. So um, when I was meeting with my advisors and just having a lot of conversations uh, across the departments at Morgan, because there wasn't a journalism program, I said, okay, like, let me think about the interests that I actually have in journalism. And so at that point, it really was politics, right? Like, even though I've got, you know, interested in style and culture and fashion, like, politics was something that I was very much interested in as well. And it was something I knew I could make a career in. And so I said, if I go very deep in my interest subject area, I should be able to, if I do the right internships, meet the right people, have the right conversations, I can always springboard that into journalism later. I'll take whatever classes Morgan did offer at the time. But I felt like that dual degree. So I actually graduated with a BA in political science and a minor in print journalism um, because there weren't enough credits to be able to minor in it. And um, I felt like that, deep subject interest area gave me the really stepping stone and platform that I needed to be able to, once I started working in journalism, understand more of the complex systems, understand, have like some theory behind me to be able to ask like bigger, heavy hitting questions. And I will say too, having that political background has now changed even my own politic, right? So like, I think I've always been pretty radical having like, um, really progressive ideas and a real critique of systems. But I think having had that like groundwork and foundation, it takes me up into the right now. Yeah, definitely. Um, now you went to, um, you was the uh, communications director for mayoral candidate, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. Uh, David Warnock, um, that made me vote for him just to let you know. Um, Cause I mean, I trust your vision and you know, yeah. the messaging and everything. So, but um, how did, what was it like shifting? Because now you're kind of going into more of the media relations, public relations from journalism. And I found this interesting because at that same time I was, let's see, what year was this? Um, Yeah. 2017. So I had just also kind of made the switch, but mine, when I went to Johns Hopkins was literally just cause I needed a job <laughs> and yeah. I wanted to get back home and, they had a need for um, somebody with social media experience. So I learned a lot of the public relations stuff and media relations literally on the job. And it was, you know, until now the best job I've ever had. 
how did you make that transition and what was some of the things that you learned and what was some of the, um, you know, what was, what were your growth opportunities that you overcame? Yeah. So, um, that campaign was from 20, was from 2015 to 2016. So this was the election, the mayoral election right after Freddie Gray was murdered by the police in Baltimore. So this was right after that. My bad. I've gone the wrong. wrong It's okay. It's completely okay. I was like, let me just correct it for the reader, for the listeners. (laughs) Like no, no worries. Um, and so, I think so basically the year before that I had just left journalism. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I had basically had a year that I was working for Baltimore city. I was working for the department of recreation and park. I'm doing their digital media, which I actually did love that job. But I loved my team. It was such a fun job. I went from canoeing to like, you know, being at a, you know, event to being at the pool. Like I just had so many opportunities to meet amazing people in and around Baltimore. Um, and I think I had that itch though, still to be kind of more in like the political space and a little bit more of like a heavy career path. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when the opportunity came to take this position, I think I agreed with the candidate on, on all of his issues because he was a very progressive candidate, even though he was a white candidate in a predominantly black city. But it, for me was a career springboard. Right. So I knew I wanted to go into politics and wanted to be at the intersection of like media relations and politics. Um, and so I took the position because of that. And I will say that I literally was learning on the job, which is just a wild situation to be in, right? Mm-hmm. Because even though being from Baltimore, you think I think of Baltimore as like a very small city, Baltimore is 607,000 plus people, right? And so it's a large city, the stakes are high. It was a crowded mayoral field. And so I really had to learn, like, so one, I came from print journalism, right? And so I really didn't know a lot about broadcast journalism, the space, the field in general. Like, I didn't understand what it took to get, like, TV cameras at a place. I didn't know the schedule at which the the broadcast channels worked. I didn't know how, like, to get in contact with the reporters, the editors, how the news desk worked. Like, I didn't know any of that. But what I did know was how to get to like print and digital reporters. And so even I had to learn that as I went. So when I was writing press releases and then starting to make media calls and I was trying to get them to press events, I was literally like asking the people who would answer the desk questions in real time. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I just sent over a press release. Do you have it? And they would look and they would say, oh, well, we don't make our decisions till insert time. Or they said, well, we don't know if we're going to cover it, right? And I would say, okay, like, when would you find out if you're going to cover it? Because I think a lot of people would hang up at that point. And they would mm-hmm. just say, like, okay, you don't know if you're going to cover it. Like, let me know if you do. No, not me. I need to know all the details. Like, mm-hmm. I need to know the who, what, when, where, how, because my campaign manager was going to ask me, right? Like, she expected for me to have two television cameras at every press conference we did. And we had a press conference every single week. And so that is an intense situation to be in as a comms director, right? Wow. And so, yeah, like she, like if we didn't have two, two different news stations, and you know, there's only really three news stations in Baltimore um, at that point. And so I was like, if we didn't have that, those two cameras, like it was going to be my head that day, <laughs> later in the campaign office. And you ain't um, even talking and, about setting up the press conference, like getting no. the cameras and the <laughs> waters and uh, making sure that, the you know, the you got the... Uh, a malt box and all that stuff set up. You just talking about just getting it done, and you talking about yes, week? yes, every single wow. week. So we basically wrote out a policy platform every week um, for probably like I don't know eight to ten weeks. So mm-hmm. and we and everything had to at some point you had to have a gimmick, right? So I remember at one point we did like a wheel of misfortune. So there was this like big wheel that we made out of like cardboard that actually spun like the wheel of fortune mm-hmm. wheel, and on every other like um, little tab it had like some 
like unfortunate thing that happened in Baltimore that our candidate said they would fix, right? And so during the press conference, the candidate spun the wheel, right? Yeah. And like, mind you, like the me and this intern put together this little rickety wheel that we're hoping does not like fly off the handles on the press conference because it's like put together with like chewing gum and tape, right? But we had to have enough something to draw in you know, these reporters, because they're like, then you just roll out a policy platform last week too. Like we, we yeah. back in Krishana and I'm like, yes, you are. Um, and I think what also helped was like, even if I didn't, even though I had never worked in broadcast journalism, when I would go to, you know, a, um, you know, a scene where someone unfortunately had lost their life in Baltimore, right? Like when I was the print reporter there, WJZ was there, ABC2 was there, Fox 45 was there. So I got to know the reporters. And so mm -hmm. although when I did call, I usually was calling somebody who I met before. Hey, you know, this is a question. Do you remember me when I was at the Afro? And yeah. I, you know, we covered that story together. Or do you remember me when I was at the Sun and we covered that education story? And so I was really trying to leverage the context of people that I knew just to get the information out in front of people. And I would say to me, the biggest lesson for people to learn is to have uh, a stamina about you and not take no for an answer, right? And so that means, I think sometimes in this generation, people get anxiety on the phone or feel like they're bugging people too much when they call them. And it's like, no, this is literally the news business. This is the media business. I'm going to keep picking up my phone every hour and calling you until you tell me that you're covering this thing. Because mm -hmm. like, it, that's important to this candidate in the story, right? And if I say I care about the people in Baltimore, and I think this candidate has the good ideas to help people's lives. Like it's important for those cameras to be there so that people know that this news happened. Um, and so I would say that like that is so important for people to like get out of their shell and kind of like not be easily um, like embarrassed. Right. Yeah. Like when you work in media, like you need to have like a second face. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can't be embarrassed because this is your fifth time calling this person. And they're still telling you, I don't know if I'm coming because something else is pressing. Like, no, I'm calling you. I'm like, OK, that's fine, Tim. But I'm going to call you back in maybe about two hours because the press conference is in three. So you let me know. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's like the important stuff of working in media. Yeah, I can imagine that can be, you know, especially difficult with politics, you know, see, like when I was doing it was medicine and most of the time, a lot of stuff we covered, we knew people was going to come out like when we did the yeah. first ever penis transplant. Right. And it was like we so we knew it was coming. I'm breaking the fifth wall here. We knew it was coming that Friday, like that Thursday or Friday. We was like, OK, Monday, we're going to, you know, release this information. And one, the whole weekend is keeping quiet about it because, you know, you about to go viral. And then Tuesday, like, it comes out Monday, Tuesday, everybody wants, you know, I did like three or four media escorts. And it was like, this is crazy. So I can imagine being on the flip side where you literally trying to like pull people to you. Thank you for listening to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. You can support this podcast by going on foryourwear.com. Go to personalities and see Brian H. Waters. Well, there you can get breaking through glass ceilings t-shirt or a hoodie as well as a no ceilings above success t-shirt go to foryourwear.com make sure you also check out some of the other podcasters and professional wrestlers as well you would then like go to like america votes and you know now you've propelled your career to do more uh communication stuff so what was how would you say that helped you into the next part of your career? What were some of the rewarding things you have been able to do since then? 
Yeah, I think like you mentioned, America Votes is important because when I got there, they hadn't had a comms person there since 2012. So I got there in 2016. And so coming from the campaign, I'm like ready to go. Like I'm on fire, ready to go. Like I'm calling reporters right now. It's nothing like, you know, I'm going to make sure that you get the press that you need. And they were like, well, hold your horses. Like we don't really operate that way. Like we kind of sometimes do press. We don't really like, like our people talking to reporters. Like let's wait a second. And I'm like, no, I can reject the talking points right now. Like the talking points are ready. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're already printed out. Um, and so I would say that like from job to job, the, capacity of which I was needed changed. And so what was great about the America Votes job is because they their actual capacity and need for comms was a little bit lower, I was able to really grow as a manager at that role. So that was my first time actually have the opportunity to hire my own staff and manage people as well. And so to really go through that interview process and think through what do I actually need? What gaps do I need to fill? Like what things don't I have that I think that I skill set wise that I need? What are things that like are taking me too much time to do? And I would rather someone else do them so that I can do other things that are, that only I can do, right? That only I have the skill set to do. Um, and then like, you know, putting forth that full job description, hiring folks, training them. And so you know, to me, I think when people grow as a manager and grow in their career and get from being the person doing everything to starting thinking strategically, big picture, big vision, how do I run a team so that other people are also growing in their skill set? Mm-hmm. I really push for people to do management training. Like, I think it's so important. So I did my training through the management center. Um, and I would say that, like, I recommend that resource to people all the time. Um, the management center has both virtual and in-person trainings, especially with COVID. Like, they've gone virtual in a lot of um, instances. And I think it really provided me the opportunity to, like, to put forth a real vision for what a team can look like. And so then I also got the opportunity to increase other skill sets that I didn't have. So like, I came from journalism, so I can do comms with my eyes closed, right? Like I, I can write you talking points, I can write you messaging, I can do a press release, media advisory, I can get reporters there, like that's easy to me. And then I had also worked in like organic digital. So I had done like, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all those things from an organic standpoint. But what I had never done was paid media, right? And so Mm -hmm. like that paid digital media was the skill gap that I had. And so what I really think that like that next step gave me the opportunity to think about what skill sets do I need to really propel my career as well. And so the other thing is that not a lot of Black women in digital advertising. Like they just they're just not, um, especially mm-hmm. ones on the political side. Like there's definitely a, ha- a a few handful of one people who know how, who have that skill set at large, right? Who like can actually do it? Who work on the left side of the political the political aisle and who can do the work? And then there's even fewer black women. And so I knew that if I had this skill set, I would always have a job, right? Because like it was so new. And people were just starting to do it. And people were really just starting to take their money from TV and put it on Hulu and Roku and, you know, Instagram and Facebook and like really put their ads there as well. Um, and so I was able to get, I worked at a super PAC after I left America Votes and um, as a deputy creative director. And so that was my first opportunity to like fully immerse myself in like paid media. And I always tell people like, if you work in comms and you are looking for a way to become invaluable in your skill set and you're a black person, like learn how to do paid. And even if you don't do it often, but if you know how to do it either on the creative side or on the media planning buying side, right? Because there's mm-hmm. actually two tracks there. Some people have a shared skill set. 
Um, but if you can do that, like you're invincible, right? Because every single election cycle, some candidate somewhere, some super PAC somewhere is going to want to run ads. And they're going to ask you, how can I reach people on the TikTok, right? Somebody's <laughs> going to ask that. And I'm first going to say, well, actually, political uh, TikTok doesn't take political ads. So you can't reach people in that way there. But you can go influencers. You can go user-generated content, et cetera. And so I think, like, when you have that skill set and when you know you're able to really, like, make yourself, you know, the person the player and so since i've been in the consulting world which i've been in now for four years um which i cannot believe it has been that long that i've now been in an agency um mm -hmm. i very much have grown my interest and skill set as like a political operative of how to turn out reach and persuade like um black people as well as people of color um on the democratic side as well as like some persuasion towards white voters that's like been my bread and butter for the last four years um, mm -hmm. of content that I've really done as well as advocacy work. And um, I need more people like us in that space. So this is my little plug that if people are interested in that, they can always hit me up and I'm happy to do some little informational interviews with people to try to get them into that space as well. Oh, that's awesome. That's definitely getting clipped off of social media. Um, <laughs> one of the things that uh, real quick, I want to slide back to was the transition because you mentioned something that I'm so familiar with is when you used to go in a hundred miles an hour and then you got to slow it down. For me, it was like, you know, sports was all day, every day, like shoot, edit, post a day. Mm -hmm. Then I go to Johns Hopkins. It's like, Oh, well we're going to shoot this and we'll, we're not posting it till later, you know? So it's not that fast. -paced. How did you handle that? You know, going from so fast, the uh, politics to like, you know, just kind of taking your time and slowing down a little bit. How did you handle that? What kind of advice would you give to people making those transitions? Yeah, that transition was hard for me um, because, you know, basically my entire career, I have been at 100 miles per hour. Like journalism was like that for me. And then my initial like entrance into comms was like that for me as well. So mm -hmm. it was definitely a way, way, way slower pace. And so I would say two things. One, that's when I got a master's degree because I had a lot of time on my hands and said, well, like, what can I do with my extra capacity? I'm going to get a master's degree. Um, and I think, too, like, it gave me, I think, the opportunity to sit and think and wonder more about, like, what the, how did I see myself long term, right? And I think that, like, there are seasons for different things. And you can't operate at that fast going pace long term. You're going to feel it in your body. You're going to feel it mentally, emotionally. You're going to feel it if you have, you know, family, friends, if you have a partner, if your kids, like you're going to feel that at some point because you're just going so quickly. And so while you can sustain that for one period and season of your life, it shouldn't be every season, right? Like that's how people burn out and eventually like want to leave the space altogether. Mm -hmm. And so I say revel in those times, enjoy those times, take up a hobby, find what your other interests are. And so for me, during that time, I realized that my other interest was kind of going full circle back to the conversation. I still love fiction writing. I knew that I still love fiction writing. I knew that was still so near and dear to my heart. And for fiction, for me, it's speculative fiction, sci-fi and fantasy writing, because I wanted to envision a world that doesn't currently exist. Right. So like without the racism, the sexism, capitalism, xenophobia, homophobia, without all of these things, like what world can we live in? And so that's what speculative fiction does for me. Um, it allows me to like envision this world that doesn't that doesn't currently exist and see what it could look like. And so that's when I got into reading Octavia Butler and became and I really like challenged my own um thoughts and outlooks of the world. That's when I became a prison abolitionist, right? Like, so I think like spend those seasons doing that inward 
digging, you know, that's what people want to call like shadow work these days, right? Mm -hmm. What's your shadow side? I think like it's it's okay. And I think sometimes people run from that. Like people run from that introspection, that slowdown, that thing that COVID did for us, right? Like it slowed everybody down and had them in the house. And I think people finally got to see who they were on the inside. And so what I would say, and my advice is don't run from that space. Don't feel like you have to fill it with 50, 11 things. Like take your time, spend time with yourself, breathe and figure out who you are outside of your career, right? Because like, those careers come and go, and, and we all know that each one, each and every one of us can get laid off tomorrow, right? Like, the these um, media companies are not, you know, as stable as they used to be, and these careers are not as stable as they used to be, and, like, the economy isn't either, right? And so you need to have self-worth and know who you are outside of your job title, right? Like, who are you as a person? And I think that those slow seasons give you the opportunity to figure that out. Wow, you dropping gems today. That might be the name of the episode. Figure out who you are outside of your career. <laughs> um, and, and, and that's one thing I'm gonna get into also. Um, is you know, you recently, you know, brought back your YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. Um, so which I'm excited about. You know, we uh in 2013, we were yes. working on a couple of projects and we had some fun. And, and, and again, you pushing me because at this time I'm like transitioning and really getting more comfortable uh shooting and editing and thanks to you i got a lot of reps you know understanding like you know i'm buying more equipment so using you know hand more handheld mics you know and really understanding how to sync good audio not just camera audio or separate audio um but you know let's just talk about your you know your youtube channel and you know what you do what you cover you know so the people can uh watch because the link will be in the bio so they can subscribe let's get you to a million subscribers uh but yeah talk about it yeah thank you so much brian you know i feel like the youtube channel was a long time coming and i really believe in the universe won't give you something until you're ready for it right and so you know i kind of tried to have a channel before, you know, when you and I were working together and we mm-hmm. did some of the like, you know, uh, man on the street interviews in Baltimore. But I feel like I wasn't ready. Like if I would have done it and had critiques or criticisms or people would have like, you know, said that they didn't like it, I would have felt it. I didn't have the armor at that point to have that type of a platform in that space at that time. And so it's something about a transformation, at least for me, that I feel like I had in the rebirth I had when I had my second baby, right? And they talk about like having, being in labor and becoming a mom sometimes can be a rebirth for a mom as well. And I Mm -hmm. felt that because I remember right before I had my son, um, being like, I've been wanting to do YouTube for so long. And I always get anxiety about it. I always, you know, think about doing it and get too scared to post. Or what are people going to think about me, right? What do people critique me? Oh, are people going to talk bad about behind my back and say, who does Krishana think she is having this channel? And you know what? I didn't care this time. Like, I didn't. I don't care if you don't like the content. If you don't like it, it's not for you. Turn it off. If you want to, like, you know, send it to your friend and be like, you see, sis? Like, who does she think she is with this channel? I don't care. Because I know that there's a space and a place for this content for a very select group of people, right? So for my channel, it's very much an intersection of, like, media, motherhood, um, books, and writing, which are the things that I hold very much near and dear to my heart. 
Um, and it's really an opportunity for me to share, you know, the things that I've learned with other people, right? So, you know, they always say like, YouTube channel should educate, inspire, or entertain. I'm not a comedian. This is not an entertainment channel, right? But I do hope to educate and inspire people, right? You know, mm -hmm. I had a home birth with a midwife, which is something that a lot of Black people don't do, right? Like, a lot of people don't even know about it, right? And mm -hmm. so for me, launching my channel was an opportunity to tell people and give them insight into, here's some other, here's another path for you because Black women and Black maternal mortality rate is increasing and it's shooting under the roof. A lot of Black women are having bad outcomes at hospitals. And so if you decide to go to a hospital, that's fine, but at least be informed about this other option that you have. And here's what it could look like. And here's what my experience was. And this is how much it costs. And like, I'm giving you all the information. This is how much it costs. This is what I did. This is how I found the people, right? Even when it comes to my writing, same thing. Like I try to be so transparent because I'm giving people the information that I wish I could have found online that I couldn't find about writing, being an author and about motherhood. And so all the things. And so I would say for folks who are looking for a very much unfiltered um, reality into some of these, a window into some of these things, like please definitely come over to the channel. I'm always happy to like grow this community and be in community with new people. I think like social media and the internet have given us like this broader community of like-minded folks and so if you feel like that resonates with you please like get in touch hit me up on the channel and definitely like take a look yeah that's that's awesome i'm proud you know i was happy to see that you had did it um like i said i know it was something that you've been wanting to do for a long time and i love what you said um you know the universe won't give you something until you're ready for it uh, and you know it's that's spot on that also could be the title of this episode <laughs> You you dropping gems. <clears throat> not that not that I expected anything less. Uh, but still, I still had to recognize it. Now I want to talk real quick before we get out of here. Just how do you like balance that? Because that's what, what people uh, a lot of people don't understand how to do. Um, and sure, I, I tell people, but you know, you hear from me all the time, whatever. Um, but how do you balance um your YouTube channel as well as being, you know, the head of media and campaigns at A B Partners? Yeah. Um, so right now, one of the reasons that it works is that I'm still on maternity leave. So um, <laughs> I haven't gone back to work yet. So one reason it works is because of that. But what I will say is like, I'm constantly spending the little time that I can find around the edges thinking about my channel, right? And what could mm -hmm. be content and what's next. And so for example, like, you know, of course, I would prefer to be in front of my actual laptop when I'm like, you know, thinking through channels and creating concepts and like editing my videos, but I don't have that luxury. I have a, I have a three month old baby and I have a three year old. Right. And I'm also a wife and I got other stuff. I have a job, like I have things going on. And so I think for me, like learning how to go mobile has been like the most important thing. And Brian, you know, we talked about this because I had a hard time editing one of my videos in a mobile app that I was using. But to me, like, it's so easy for me to you know, be nursing my baby and like editing my video while I'm with him, right? Because mm -hmm. I'm I'm on mobile. And so I think that like all this technology has given us the opportunity to like be able to like multitask and do different things in real time and has really allowed me to be consistent and think about like what things am I looking for. I also like ask my, you know, um, subscribers a lot, like what other things, what questions do you have? What things do you want to know? So I don't have to come up with all the ideas as well. And I'm actually feeding them feeding them the things they want. And then I think most importantly is like doing the, the time audit. So one of the things me and my husband talked about, and he's a big proponent of is like doing a time audit. So he really goes through like every single hour of his day and figures out like, 
what is my schedule? When do I need to like shower? When do I need to work out? When do I need to cook? Do this, do that. And finding those blocks of time that you have that you can actually do things and basically holding them sacred, right? So like if somebody wants to go to eat dinner to, you know, a restaurant during that time period, my answer is no, right? Because that is my time that I do my YouTube channel or that is my time that I work out or whatever the case may be. And so really holding your calendar as tight as you can. And so, yes, I still make time for fun and dates and all that kind of stuff. That's important. But I have to stick to the calendar. Once it's full, it's full, right? That's just what it is. I can't, that, that time can't be, um, they can't be that that flexible. It has to be rigid and able to like, in, in order to meet the deadlines that I had and to make it. And so I would tell people like, yes, you have to be a little bit selfish with your time and be realistic once you make that time audit to say like, when do I actually have time to do these things? And then like actually having to follow through to do it, which means that you can't spend, you know, those extra 30 minutes as you spent scrolling through TikTok was your time to do that work, right? So like you might want to turn your phone off. You might want to put one of those apps in that tells you that your time is up. Whatever you need to do, you got to put your phone in the closet to like get things done, do that because people don't realize how much time they have around the edges that they're just like letting go to the wayside. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up too, is uh, putting it on a calendar. Like, you know, that's important. Uh, especially when you want to be consistent because like that's what I tell people as far as like the wrestling realm is concerned. 10 o'clock or 1030 Wednesday nights. Boom. Now we're going live. So it helps easier. But you know, I know my brothers can be held accountable. They know every Wednesday we live um, before when it was recording. Once we put it on the calendar, it is still like, you know, it was the priority, but now transitioning, we're going live. It's, you know, you advertise it, you know, but um, before we get out of here, I ask you this question. When was your breaking through the glass moment? When did you realize like, yeah. And like, I mean, obviously I know you humble, so you ain't gonna say I'm pretty good at this, but when, when did you realize, you know, you was living in your purpose and doing what you were supposed to be doing and was pretty good at what you do? Yeah, I, I actually can pinpoint it. So um, after college, I was living in Florida and I got a job working at uh, like, style publication down there and I kept feeling like the fit wasn't right like it, it like you know as much as I said I wanted to do fashion and culture or whatever I got to an opportunity to do it and I'm like mm, I'm not feeling this and so I actually did a thing that I would probably not advise a lot of people to do unless they are sure about it but I quit my job with no notice and went home mm-hmm. um and when I got back home I went back to work at the afro and I kept telling my mom like I don't know if this was the right thing like, I don't know if this is the right call. Like, you know, I'm just kind of back, not fully a staff writer, not making a lot of money. I can't afford my own apartment. Like, how do I operate in this space? And I had wrote maybe my first story after coming back from Florida. And I got a phone call from somebody at WEAA, which is one of the local radio stations in Baltimore. And they said, hey, Krishana, you know, I'm a producer at WEAA and I have your story here. We want you to come on air and talk about your story on the Mark Steiner show. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? I've been listening to Mark Steiner since I was a kid. Like, you want me to come talk on the show? Like, I just didn't even know the opportunities like that could happen, right? And I didn't even know that like somebody was paying attention to the stories that I was writing and thinking like this will be a good guest for our show to talk and to actually talk through their reporting. And so from there, I went on short this show in WEAA and was constantly on the radio and then got an opportunity to do Square Off on ABC2 with um, with Richard Share And, you know, that that's one of the like major programs my mom used to watch when I was a kid. It came on like 
um, Channel 2 on Sundays, right about the time that we were leaving out to go to church, right? And my mom was going to stop and watch that show. And so to me, it felt like when I knew that people in Baltimore saw me mm-hmm. and, and saw something bigger for me than what I could even see for myself, right? Like, I could not have imagined at that time that somebody would want me to be a pundit or to like give my take or my political view on any of these issues happening in Baltimore and I was only 22 like I don't know if people knew how young I was and I was also like I just graduated I don't know anything right (laughs) um but I think that gave me the confidence to know that like I have a voice that many people don't have an opportunity many people don't have and I gotta like use this fully right and put put on my city put my people on like i never saw people who look like me on those channels who are from where i'm from like talking right and so mm-hmm. um i think that was it for me honestly like people saw something in me that i hadn't yet saw in myself amazing well i know we gotta get out of here thank you so much for doing this i really appreciate you uh putting me on your calendar <laughs> and everything. no thank you <laughs> and um but yeah let the people know where they can find you for those listening and not watching on youtube yeah, so I'm on at Krishana Davis on everything. So Twitter, Instagram. Um, I recently kind of launched the TikTok channel, so I'm there as well as on my YouTube channel as well. Um, and I also have a website, so it's um, KrishanaDavis.com. And so you can reach me on pretty much any social media platform that exists as my name. All right, ladies and gentlemen, make sure y'all follow Krishana. Krishana, I appreciate you so much. Folks, remember, do not let anybody place a ceiling above your success. So long, everybody. What up? It's your boy Blue Magic, owner of For Your Wear and one half of the Mixed Tag Show. Now, I know you've seen the announcements for some of your favorite podcasts in the wrestling. I've decided to expand my business to become a vendor so that people from the wrestling community have a better way to communicate with some of their favorites. So check out foryourwear.com and see if your favorite podcast on wrestling has partnered up with me. If not, let them know that they should. Also, if you're looking for a vendor for your merchandise, reach out to me at Blue Magic Grind Spellhouse Sound on Twitter or Instagram or at For Your Wear, F-O-R-U-R-W-E-A-R on Twitter and on Instagram. Shout out to Brian H. Waters and Breaking Through Glass Stones. Their merchandise are already up and they're one of the first ones that's reported. So go support them. All right? Peace. <laughs>